Welcome to the Leadership Mindset, the podcast where we uncover the hidden gems of sales and business leadership. In each episode, our goal is to bring you up close and personal with the world's most accomplished business leaders. We explore their experiences, motivations, inspirations, and the challenges they've conquered on their way to the top. In today's episode, you can expect to hear an inspiring story of perseverance and self-belief to achieve unconventional career and personal success on your own terms. So grab a coffee and enjoy the conversation with today's guest, Barry Cassily. Barry Cassily, you're very welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Barry, you had an unconventional entry into the workforce. You left school very early. Want to tell me a little bit about what was behind that and what that journey was like in terms of what you had to do to get on that the, the kind of the corporate ladder? Yeah, so I suppose like the biggest thing was believing, believing in yourself. So I think that was one of the things that I had to do. But the second was influencing. So it was influencing my dad that I had the, the, the strength and the capability to actually go back and go back to my college. And I think that was the biggest hurdle. But once he really sat down and understood why I wanted to do it, he then started becoming and really starting to back me for it. So I left school when I was 15 and started working for the Pete's in Parnell Street, a lovely man called Declan Pete, who has been very influential in my career and I started working for him for seven years and throughout that time he gave me the exposure to so many different parts of business and I think where he really leveraged my career uh, was to support me throughout the nighttime education as well so I had the flexibility to grow and to learn and evolve but also to really spend the time that I needed to on that Friday afternoon and trying to get extra study in on top and really gave me the ability uh, to go and further develop myself so that was quite sewn on from before I made the decision to leave school. But I really wanted to be a manager. And that was the really the key focus of what I wanted to do. I wanted to lead people. I wanted to develop people. And I wanted to really grow people. And that was something that was fostered with my own parents to really challenge yourself in different areas. So there's two paths there I'd like to follow with you. One is on the educational side and the other is on the work side. You left school before you did your leaving cert and... What made you then, because then you had a job, you had a good job in a place, clearly you sounded like you enjoyed and you were respected and so on, And you, but you decided to go back. What was the, or at least to go at night, that's tough. Anybody who's ever done and tried to get a qualification part-time knows that you're trying to do two full-time jobs in, in the same amount of time, essentially. What was the driving force to go back and get your leaving cert at night? So that was, it had to be done. So I think my dad said that had to be part of the package. If I was to leave school, I had to do it at night. And the driving force for the degree was around to get the qualifications to be a bit like to lead in business management, right? Uh, but it was also to get me to be accountable, right? And to make sure that like I can manage and multitask in different ways. And I think that's what really was the benefit of it overall as that gave me structure, it gave me focus. And it gave me key areas of where I needed to work on. And that was something that potentially I didn't know at the time in terms of for myself. So study in college? Business management. And so I went back and did a degree in business management. And then I had cloud computing and capital market and investment banking courses as well. Yeah. Uh, advanced diplomas. I'm curious what 
when you were in school, was a degree ever on your horizon or was it the fact that you went back and worked hard to get your leaving cert at night? Was that a stepping stone to the leaving cert that made you feel it was possible? It's a good question. Maybe at the time I didn't realise it, but reflecting on it now, it definitely was something. It definitely was a driver. Looking back now, do I hire for somebody who has a degree and do they need a degree? Absolutely not. So I think that what it gave me was accountability. It gave me belief in myself as well, because when you leave school at 15, you lack a bit of belief, right? And so like you, you need to really start to gain that back, right? Because you're now not dealing with 14-year-old kid, kids in school. You're actually dealing with 28-year-olds, 30-year-old businessmen who are actually expecting a lot from you in terms of a sales capacity. So I had to grow up quite quickly and I had to grow and not just as an individual, but professionally, I had to grow quite quickly. And I think that's the piece that why I went back to college was to really try and to leverage those skills and to be to be noticed as a young person trying to move into leadership and to be held like I'm serious it was very hard to try and get into sales leadership at a young age um, and especially within Oracle I found it very tough um, but I had a really strong mentor and yes. I still to this day like have so much respect in terms of I, I, I won't mention the name but you probably know him and I have so much time for that person who I'll come, I'll come back to that one in a second I was just struck by when you were talking about going back to college was that part time too by the way or was that full time that was part, everything was everything was part time and it was almost like a, as an afterthought that I had to ask you what the, what you studied because in some sense I was of the feeling that it's irrelevant what you did in terms of going back to college says more about you than what you studied in terms of your value as an employee what you studied was irrelevant and it yeah. was the journey you went through and the hurdles you must have had to go through to balance those talk to me a little bit about that about the challenges of trying to do two effectively two jobs study for a degree which most people would see as a full-time pursuit and hold down a job at the same time yeah so like i suppose the driver paul at that time it's actually fun fun here i had two kids quite young right so now you've three jobs. jobs three jobs right so yeah that was the driver to set them up for success and to make sure that they'd have a good life and that was the driver very early for me as well once once i found that out but i was doing a career round so i was doing three three nights doing at my college five days working and then doing a curry round two nights a week delivering curries and while my wife was on maternity leave at the time so it was juggling like so many things but like in terms of the benefit to it overall like it just bred great driving resilience and that's something that's just grown within me from a very early age and that's what I love and as part of the hiring process is to understanding the person do they have the right grit resilience and attitude I think everybody after coming out of the last year has built great driving resilience with the pandemic. Um, point. It's a good point. But it's uh, people like don't realise the amount of grit and resilience they have within them. And uh, that's what I love doing is challenging their limiting beliefs. And I challenge my limiting beliefs an awful lot. Um, and I think that's what I love dealing with my reps is getting them to see what else they can do like what else can they do and be a better version of themselves 
that's the piece where I got my passion from. Have you ever thought of being a motivational speaker, Barry? No, you have a, I had there is a career the there for you, by the way. If you ever get tired of what you're doing, I promise you. That's a phenomenal story to be able to demonstrate that. Wanted to go back a little bit and talk to you about Pete's. I remember the place fondly. I was an electronics guy myself. I geeked out on circuit boards and transistors and diodes and the likes. And, but I also know there was, well, it didn't, was it, it Pete's where they also, maybe I'm confusing, Pete's did the electronics, right? It wasn't the audio place. They didn't do speakers and hi-fi. Yeah, they had Pete's and electronics, but they also, a lot of their brothers set up different businesses. Yeah. So they had desktop systems and Bang and Olufsen as well brought yeah. it to the into Dublin. Um, and then they also owned like audio visual reporting and yeah. So they they're they're really entrepreneur family. Were you on the sales side in Pete's? Everything. So that's where I really I was on the sales side, but I was also on the fixing the duplicators and the systems. So years ago when CDs needed to be replicated by the thousands we used to be able to provide the systems that could do that and print on them and we'd be selling them to large clients what did you learn about, jack of all trades sorry Barry what did you learn about business and about people working there that you still leverage now relationships matter so to really sit down and to understand who's going to help you get to where you need to to reach and ask for help and be humble Right. And I think that's something that like I'll never lose. Right. I'm, I'm being vulnerable when you need to be. When you need help, you ask for help. But I suppose one of the most things is the most benefit thing I got from a self belief. I think that's something that Declan really bred within me and drove me to those limits that I expect now with my reps. Do you know that type of way in terms of I sometimes don't even understand the influence he had on my career and appreciate I definitely appreciate it and he knows that but when you're looking back and the older that you get you realize who made impacts on your career and he'd be definitely one that has made the biggest impact for me yeah let's go Barry a, a moment ago you mentioned that you had a really good mentor in Oracle specifically Can you tell me a little more about what it was you got from that relationship what you learned about yourself and again about business yeah, it was Killian O'Grady um, within Oracle, uh, who was leading up senior director for business development. And I approached Killian early in my career to let him know what I needed um, and what I was looking to do and move into management. And I think the, mo- the benefit of what he gave me was I was doing too much stuff and not letting one or two people see the visibility and impact of the project. So you could go around and cut a hundred trees but if you cut one well and someone saw you cut that tree really well, that's more of an impact. And that's something that stayed in my head for I don't know how long. You can run around and do multiple different tasks that have no impact, or you can align yourself with tasks and projects that are going to align to the company of priorities. And that's the piece where I was missing totally going the wrong way about it. And that was something that got me back on track. And I didn't get the first role I went for. But I think it was the coaching and development within the second phase that I really started to understand exactly what he was trying to do. And he wasn't telling me, he was coaching me. And that's something that's just stuck in me, whatever happened as part of that process. But it's something that I bring to every conversation with my reps. Tell me about what you learned about coaching from Killian. And by the way, I I now have this mental image of Killian wearing a lumberjack's 
code and it, and it changes all. But do do tell me because I know anybody who's watching this, there's many people who will know Killian and who have similar stories. I'd like to hear yours about what you learned about coaching. Yeah, I think it's all of the power of questioning, right? I think that's something that I learned from Killian. The questions that you ask will deliver the outcome of what you're trying to achieve or you'll get to the root cause of what the problem is. So it's being able to sit down before you have your one-to-ones with your reps and understand what questions can I ask to derive the right output. And I think that's something that a lot of managers don't think of when they go into having those conversations. What five or six questions is going to get me to the answer that I need to? And that's something that Killian really told me in terms of it's the power of the questions. That's what it's all about. And in terms of coaching, it was to realize in yourself that you don't have to do a hundred things. You only have to do one or two things right. And you need to build your relationship and network around you and to understand that when you're not in the room, that they're talking about you. Or that if your name pops up, that they're talking about you. Or if a role comes up, you're nominated. And that's the piece where I was trying to drive a lot of it myself, whereas I probably wasn't going around it and trying to influence maybe one or two key priorities and then driving them forward. I think that's probably the biggest lesson I've learned within my career that definitely stuck with me. It's ingrained. So if I've understood you correctly, what you're saying is that it's really important that you invest time in managing your own career in terms of getting that visibility so that, again, when you're not in the room, it's your name that comes to people's minds and it's associated with the projects that you want them to see more of and your role in those. And that's what's going to drive impact for their business. It's aligned to their operating priorities. So doing a good job as in delivering a number in itself is not enough. This is my bottom line I'm taking from this. Absolutely. Absolutely. How are you leveraging best practices across the company? How are you scaling projects across the company? What's the overall impact to you as a person within that company? Isn't the number, right? It's what else you can bring to the table. And for me, that's how I motivate people into the role is to really align projects that they're trying to, like creativity or whatever they're trying to do, and is to give them projects on that kind of assignment and to keep them motivated within the role. I think that's something that is definitely a key attribute to the success of the teams yeah. that we manage. It, it sounds to me like sales leadership was something that you had your eye on from very early. Talk to me about the process then going from rep to sales manager. How did you manage that? Apart from the, what you learned through Killian and managing your own career, but just in terms of the hurdles you had to overcome as an individual, the new skills you had to develop as you transitioned from sales, yeah. sales leadership. Yeah, so I, I was lucky that I moved into business development leadership. And I think it's important for an IC to use that route and to go to a business development leadership role. I was advised from Killian to do that, right? Because it's where you can grow yourself and that new set of competencies in that role. And you can also then get exposed to so many different parts of the businesses as well. And I think that's the area that I started going in on. But I think the biggest transition for me was from an SDR to a sales leader, all right? And I'll give you an example. When I first started my hardware, I went into the hardware business in Oracle as my first year as a sales leader. And it was one of the toughest. And you really like life. taking on tough challenges, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> it was a tougher but, thing but, to but do you, in Oracle. It was... <laughs> 
that's where you want to learn, right? That's where you learn quicker in those environments. Mm. Right? You evolve quicker and you really... And I was encouraged to go for that role for those reasons. And, and I got into that role and I was like, I can't do this. I'm not good at this. And sitting down and really understanding the areas that I needed to just go from a biz dev leader to a sales leader and what was those three competencies I needed yeah. to focus on. But yeah, it was difficult. But we got through it and we got through that year and we learned from it and we had a really successful second year. You, you might share for listeners why the hardware was difficult. My recollection was, and but there may be lots of other reasons, was that after taking over the Sun business, Horacle basically jacked up the price for everybody and changed everybody's licensing terms and conditions. And now you as a sales team have to have those conversations with was it that was there something else that made hardware spe- and of course there are smaller margins in hardware than there are in software was there something else yeah you've, you've hit it on the head there so there's margins there's also the partner team making sure that the partners we had were credited for those specific areas plus then obviously the acquisition itself right so making sure like contracts were aligned that that ahead delayed deals etc right so that piece was the a tough piece to get around but I think in terms of the hardware business, it's very heavily through the channel. So it's really making sure that those relationships are built up and strong and that there's good trust within the channel community as well. But it was daily, daily forecasting, daily pacing. It was high fast, high paced. It was it was full on. But probably one of the most exciting parts of my journey within Oracle because I learned so much and I learned so much from Jimmy. So it was really, it was a highlight of my career, that piece. And I think I grew fast. Is that Jimmy Kyo, by the way? You say Jimmy. That's Jimmy Kyo, yeah. Another top performer. He won some award recently, top 100 sales leaders worldwide. He was in the list, only one from Ireland on that list. I saw, yeah. I was talking to him last week. Yeah. yeah. Unreal, yeah. So you... And well-deserved. I'm Sorry? And well-deserved as Absolutely, well. absolutely. And yeah. actually, he's going to be a guest on the podcast in a couple of weeks' time. So, Oh, great. Yeah, great. and I think what I'm hearing as well, that as part of your own career, that yes, you went full in to not just take on responsibility, but also challenge yourselves in terms of stretching and growing your own skill sets, with, with whether that's school, college at night, roles that would challenge you. But you also had great managers and mentors as part of the process a, a great recipe for sales leadership absolutely mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and it's the same right like with my running i never ran up until nine years ago and i started running right and i became the youngest man to run 100 marathons in ireland whoa, 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 whoa. Re- we, let's just rewind on that one for a second you did what I did. Sometimes I say, uh, and I, oh, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to just pause here for a second because right. before we started having a brief conversation, and I was saying to, with you, and I, and I already mentioned the fact that your early life in terms of leaving school and going back paralleled my own. And I was with you, and I've done one marathon. So I can appreciate what goes into it. And so I was with you until that point. <laughs> you said, I did a hundred. Okay. We need some context for this. Okay. 100, why? <laughs> That's the first one. How? Where did you find the time? Was there a purpose? What I've often seen is that when people do something extreme like that, and 100 marathons is extreme, is usually there's something else that's inside them that they're trying to 
either wrestle with or acknowledge there's something. You just don't do it just for fun. Mm-hmm. What was yours? Yeah, mine was charity. So my mother passed away and I wanted to do it for charity. And my dad said, if you run a 3R59-59 or anything less, you're a bad runner. Messing, like just having a bit of a joke. So I finished the first Dublin in 359.59 and I fell over the line and I just loved it. And it was around the focus, the dedication, it was around the task management, the time management and sitting down. I loved the level of focus that it gave. The passion was the charity piece. I love raising money for charity. And that's something that like I run 25 marathons for one charity 25 for temple street 25 for cystic fibrosis or the homeless and that's what i love doing that's what i get a passion for out of it that's why i do it but i'm up to 165 marathons now and obviously last year wasn't a a time to run but i think what it shows is that people can do unnatural things right i never thought i could run 165 marathons and how it came out was Sean Weaver ran a course of how to be your best self, best version of yourself and how to challenge yourself. And I reached out to him a couple of weeks ago and I just said it to him. Um, do you remember that day I set that goal in that workshop and I said 25 Martins? He said, yeah, I said, I'm at 165 now. And he was like, that's incredible because pe- people say if your goals aren't big enough or if they're laughing at your goals, like they're not big enough, right? I went back then and I read did my goals and then I found out that I could have been the youngest man to get to 100 but that took time like ruthless planning to actually do it and I got there within three three week difference between me and the other person who was coming to cut and I had to do 10 marathons in 10 days to beat him 10 marathons 10 days uh, yeah it was tough but we got there <laughs> okay I, I'm not going to ask you what a marathon is like I do want to know though what your favourite marathon was and by the way I should say shout out to Sean Weaver another top guy as well great, absolutely, great, really good at getting people to tap into their inner drive and push themselves yeah so it was one of the best courses I've ever had in my life oh, that course okay. um, yeah one of the best courses so tell me about which your favourite marathon and why Oh, Wexford's first ever Wexford. American Wexford. Yeah. I'm sorry, I, I was not expecting that. I was thinking of all places, like all Berlin, London, <laughs> Wexford. <laughs> I, should... well, I could have said Clontarf if you wanted to be said, well, I say Wexford. Okay, please, why Wexford? <laughs> So there's a couple great strawberries along the route, I'm sure. Beautiful, yeah. As you're going, a bit of that extra energy. No, why Wexford? It was at a point in my time on the run where I was starting to see improvements. And like, I wasn't a great runner. I'm not a great, I still say I wouldn't be a great runner. But I got to a level of 253, which is within the top 1%. Oh, that, Low that, three that's within the top 1%. Again, listen, for anybody who doesn't get, that's a phenomenal. For a lay person, it's if you're a for, for, yeah, for a standard person, you know, I, I know for hours, by the way, is yeah, is good. You're running the whole way, yeah, yeah. And like, I've no natural talent, but like, that was hard work, right? Like, I really got myself into under 10 stone, I wasn't looking great or whatever, but I was at the peak of my career there. Like, I had to run and I went in and I won it totally unexpected 253 in one of the toughest courses you could ever. I like, look, it's nearly worse than going up post 
eight times, right? It's a tough course, this course. Um, but that just was one of the most ones. I came out, led from the start. There's about 180 people in the race and I came over the finish line. I was one of the most proudest achievements of my life because I worked so hard for it. But it just goes to show, stretch yourself and you go for it. And you set your goal and you go for it and you get it. And if you don't, you learn. Yeah. That's the worst thing that can happen. What was your toughest one and how did you dig deep to finish it? Connemara was definitely one. My IT band went at six miles and I walked it. And then I got to Mams Cross, I think it is, went in and got an old jacket because it was lashing rain and everything. And I walked it 13 miles back because I was halfway there. I couldn't get back. So I was like, what do I do? And I loved the medal. I loved the Connemara medal. So I was like, I'm going to get this medal. I don't care. I'm after driving three and a half hours down to go. I'm going to come back with the medal. So. That would definitely be the, the toughest day I've had. What was your most, and the la- last marathon question, your most, because you mentioned Connemara, what was your most visually inspiring marathon? Has to be Wexford. I didn't think I had that in me. That was one of the, I don't know what was in me that day. That was, like if that was a normal course, I would have hit, I would have broke 240 that day. And whenever I did that day or whatever, I need more of it. <laughs> 100% like I need to I think it was just everything aligned right but I think that's like a sales rep going through their month you keep the plan right you keep on track you understand where you are you're working on your strengths and your weaknesses and everything should go in the right direction towards the end of the month if you get all your eyes and teeth colored when you're hiring people what do you look for and the part B of that question and what I'm also wondering is how much of your own story do you look for in others? Very little. So I hire out drive resilience and drive and resilience. I don't, I look for, and this is something that I got from Killian in his open days in Oracle, right? Hire, why wouldn't you hire that person? What can you see within that person that's their unique selling point and to get to that within the interview process? But it's all around attitude, right? This is what this job is, right? It's how you pick up and bounce back after it how you get on and you can like leverage people around you right you're not on your own right so it's really sitting down and making sure that's you're never on your own in this environment there's so many people to help you and i think that's a piece that i would take from it yeah definitely tell me did you grow up in dublin i did yeah born and bred what was that like growing up in in dublin what it would have been during the 90s yeah yeah for the 90s what was it like growing up? I had a good upbringing. Uh, my my mum left when left the family home when, she, when I was about 13, 14. And so my dad reared me. Uh, and very lucky to have such a strong character in my life. And even more so now in the last year in terms of the impact that he's had on me. So it's been a tough year for everyone, right? Uh, but it's just... It's, it's whole thought process of how he coaches me or how he sits down. It's something that I really, I really try and emulate when I'm dealing with my salespeople. And it's leading with compassion and it's leading with empathy. And I think that's something that my dad has really taught me. I think I had that from my dad before I even wanted to move into management. Do you know what I thought? Yeah, it was a, it was a nice upbringing. Two lovely sisters. So a lot of the, yeah, so a lot of the greater determination where I feel that it came from is leaving school and proving to my dad that I didn't make the wrong decision and what I mean by that is like 
he he was against it and like he was like no but when i came back and he saw the passion i wanted to do and then when he laid it out he believed in me and, and when he saw me executing against the plan he was like okay but i think that's where the grit and resilience is not to let him down and, and to, to not to not to let myself down as well right like i made that decision and i backed myself and to follow through with it is something that you need to really make sure that happens so not failure of letting them down like i think that could be potentially a, a real driver for it right and you probably only got that from me now so there you go you've coached that out of me today um yeah it's hard. that's very hard to train or teach people so i'm wondering how you can leverage that yourself in terms of inspiring others and i also wonder how much you realize you do inspire others It's one of my, it's something that I'm working on. It's definitely something that I'm working on in terms of over the next couple of months, how I potentially could motivate people in that, right? Like it, in, a, in a team environment and whatever, but the motivational speaker piece is another level, right? Obviously, I need to get some support and et cetera and coaching and development. And, but it's not off the cards, right? There's just a lot of stuff on right now. But I would love to give back like I, I i did the junior achievement program to give back to tell people not to leave school and that was something that i went into schools as part of the six-week program to encourage them not to leave school and if you are going to leave school that you have good backing and that you have good plan in terms of why you would leave school yeah so it was an interesting program i just wonder how you square that circle because leaving school made you who you are or it was certainly part of it wasn't everything but it was certainly part of it and then how do you go to people and say even though this made me who I am, don't do what I did. Although, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I have a 15-year-old son that's junior, sir. Okay. Had that discussion with him. Bought him the less stress, more success books to get the, the extra kind of exam stuff, etc. And he knows exactly how hard it was, right? So he knows what type. This is This wasn't the easy route. Right, like it wasn't the easy route for by no means. So he's very committed in terms of that. If he was to come and ask me, could he leave school? I'd say no. Right, and I know that's a bit weird, right? But times have changed, etc. Times were even changed when I was at that stage. It wasn't the dumb thing to do, right? Like it's different. But my son, it's credit to him. Like he, he knows what he wants, right? He knows where what he needs to get there. And he's putting the commitment in so he's just he's got a different view and outlook that's him i'm not going to encourage him i'm not going to that's him i'm going to influence his decision but i'm going to be supportive of him right just because it was right for me it doesn't mean it was right for him it's right for him and that's how i navigate it right this was my route this was my choice and everything's backwards as well because i had kids before marriage i had everything before this like everything that i did was just yeah. the unconventional way you said barry that was your choice what if it was his choice? If it was his choice, absolutely. I'd challenge him of making sure that he was making the right decision that he was making it, and I'd support him. I would support him. Yeah. But I'd certainly ensure that he was accountable and I'd make sure that he was on track to what he was saying he was going to do. If I saw him clearing off, like my dad did it many a time, get back on, get back in, focus back in on your study. If it needs to take him a day or two off on annual leave, do it. Like he was very, very much part of that process with me. So yeah, I would certainly support my son in that area, but wouldn't encourage it. Yeah. It sounds to me like you're very close to your own father. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very close to Yeah. How does he influence you now as a as an adult with your own children? He's changed. My, my father's changed over the years. I think he's a hell of a lot more. He shows a lot more compassion now, right? I can see he's changed definitely. I don't know whether it's an older age thing or what it is, right? But it's, it's a tough question. Rephrase the question. I can repeat it. I don't know if I can rephrase it. I'm wondering yeah. how, because again, you're right. You said that people's relationship with their parents change over time as you grow into adulthood. Also, I think as you get older, you think you mellow a little bit more and you become a little bit more circumspect and philosophical about life in itself and you tend to worry about less particularly when it comes to your children so that's going to influence the yeah. dynamic of that relationship so I can understand how when you were younger how his influence on you was very different and was probably more authoritative and supportive I'm wondering what it's like now because clearly he's still a strong influence on you I'm just wondering what that feels like and what it looks like now I finally think he's more of an influence now than he was when I was 15 and that's something that I wouldn't say lightly right like over the last especially over the last year how how he kept it, the whole family together right and how he kept people's positivity up right everyone had bad days dead and down days he remained constant and even though you know that he's probably struggling himself he still had that outlook and I think that's the trait that I take from him is being calm, cool and collective in any situation and to be able to instill that within the team. If when I make mistakes or when I fall off track or when I do something, he doesn't sit there and judge. He sits there and says, OK, so what are we going to do? How can we make this better? What can we do to change things? I think if you foster that within your team, you, you've got a winning team, right? There's nothing wrong with being wrong right i'm making a failure hold your hands up say do you do it and learn grow and evolve from it and that's all that i expect from my reps right that they're highly coachable and they change and they adapt right because everything's different and it's no no one day is the same in in, in this company or in my company or yeah. i know from everything you said barry that you would subscribe to the view that you're always growing you're never done growing as an individual what are you working on right now on yourself so I'm looking at radical candor at the moment. That's something that I'm working on. Um, and to try and be kind of more, not more humble, but really putting focus around radical candor. So did you say radical um, candor? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Now, explain so, that to me because I may misinterpret it. Yeah, so it's just a, it's a different way of approaching conversations, okay? And it's a different tactic, or not tactic, but it's a different way of getting to a derived outcome. Okay, and it's been quite constructive in your feedback, but it's also been quite humble, right? And really trying to be helpful, but be really immediate. So if something went wrong in a team, to address it straight on and to let them know what the impact of that is. And it's something that like I'm working on quite, quite well at the moment on myself and testing that. The next piece is trying to empathetic listening. And I think that's the biggest key driver of 2021 for sales leaders. I think it's something that we can all step up on, a gear on, okay? And it's definitely something that I'm working on right now. Empathetic listening in this environment is a hell of a lot different than what it is when you're working in an office environment, right? And you need to spend a lot more time at it and you need to spend a lot more focus around it as well. So that's something that I'm trying to look at. Uh, but what I'm looking at now is really leveraging the Miro tool 
to show the collaboration and engagement within the team. And that's something that's been a game changer for me. Okay. I'd like to, to explore this with you a little bit more because I think there's a lot in this. And so I, here's what's on my mind, and you'll have to forgive me. It's just how I process things. Is Honesty is when somebody says, does my ass look big in this? You say yes. That's all. Well, candor is, hey, your ass looks big in that. Radical candor like, takes that one step further. Yeah. So... Uh, that's a huge oversimplification, uh, maybe a misinterpretation. The candor is just, like, as I understand, is speaking your mind freely. Or as they, is it the same thing as what people nowadays term as speaking your truth? Or is it just being honest with people without filters? Help me with the candor bit, first of all, as part of radical candor. And then what makes yeah. radical? It's open. It's opening up that dialogue for both you and the rep to have constructive conversations, okay, and to really have drive impactful conversations and not to beat around the bush. Essentially, like we just to scale it in that way, but it's something that gives you a framework for them conversations, not just for me but for the rep as well. But it helps us to get to a derived outcome, and I think that's the beauty of it. Is it's a two way thing, and I encourage my reps to challenge me in areas as well. And if they don't understand it, seek the context to understand, right? Instead of challenging everything, seek to understand. So I think that's something that my dad instilled. I don't know why I'm talking about my dad so much here, but always find out why you're doing something. And I notice it from my kids and everything. I always ask why straight away. Or can I do this? Why? Everything's, it's in brain. That, you know, like that's the first point. Once I understand the why, then everything else falls in. And I think some people don't start with the why and then they're doing their project they don't they're halfway through and they're going why are we doing this what impact is it to your overall business? yeah no when you ask why is that so you can get context so you can understand it better or are you asking why as a pushback so why so i can understand it so seek to understand would be the why i'd be asking the question more so to challenge so we were talking about radical candor and from what you're telling me my sense of it is just it's really Taking time to understand a little bit more about context. It's the Stephen Covey, seek first to understand, but also not being afraid to confront difficult issues and have those conversations in a calm, rational, exploratory mode, if you like. Yeah, 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 exactly. And encourage that environment, right? on both sides because it's not just one way it's from you and the rep and that's what I encourage in the team an awful lot yeah is confrontation something that you've ever struggled with no no it's certainly something that I try and reduce very quickly right so in terms of that but in terms of confrontation I always try and understand why right so I understand it but if it's a genuine reason like we should be listening right so it's, it's not confrontation it's somebody voicing their frustrations or potential ideas of what we could be doing differently i think what happens the confrontation piece comes when people don't feel listened to that's when the confrontation how it starts how do you set the scene with somebody you're about to have a difficult conversation with them how do you set the scene with somebody who you feel might be quite defensive and because maybe in, in their own life they're not listened to enough and now this is a trigger for them and they straight away start making excuses or start pushing back. How do you take the sting out of that so that you can have those 
those that candor. Yeah, like I suppose again to understand what the actual problem is, right, and to understand what the impact it is having. Is it actually something that's going to move the needle, or is it not? Is it something we need to prioritize on, or is it not? And to test why they're asking, what impact will happen to them? It could be having a bigger impact to them that we don't even know. Right, like we don't know that, so we have to understand why they feel that way about the current situation. And then, as we go through that, through a coaching model, through a growth model, we start coming up with ways of potentially how we can actually get to a desired resolution. So, in terms of sitting down and listening to them, I think it starts with listening. It's not me going in with a specific agenda or outcome. It's let them be heard first, and let the team be heard. And sometimes I might go off for a couple of hours or an hour or two and digest that and to understand it and to sit down and to maybe test their objective kind of stuff they said within that meeting. But I think it's going back to them then with an accountability and kind of, of what we're going to do together to help that individual. If we were having this conversation 10 years from now, Barry, and you were looking back to 2021, what would that look like for you? What would be some of the major highlights of the past decade for you looking back from 10 years from now so from now to 10 years what would i like in 10 years or looking back from the last looking back from 2031 looking back from 2031 question right now i want a simple question i want to get pnl experience i want to understand it from a general manager point of view i want to get that exposure and i want to really like flex that type of muscle i would love to set up my own business in potentially five to ten years time and that's something that I actually really have a passion for. I went in and presented to Bill Cullen when I was 18 for in uh, the Europa Hotel. <laughs> Trying to pitch. Yeah. I, I used to, for people who didn't know who Bill Cullen was, I used to say he's the Irish Donald Trump, sometimes <laughs> the Irish Alan Sugar. I don't know if that can, that that's fair of Bill Cullen at all. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'd like to set up my own company. If I was to look back in 10 years, is to have five years in a company that's hyper growth, and that's where I am now but to really create a company which is going to I'd love to create a coaching platform that's exactly what my goal is right? so to give a coaching platform to other institutions but also to get coaches that I can provide a platform that we can give people the opportunity to grow and evolve outside of their current organisation and that's something that I'm working on ideating right now for some and I think in this current environment it's needed really needed I think the growth potential is huge I'm sad to say Barry we're up on time I could talk to you all day you're a fascinating character and I've thoroughly enjoyed it Uh, one last question Aaron yes if there was a book written about your life and I suspect there may be (laughs) and what would the title of that book be What Limiting Beliefs Barry Castle I want to thank you so much for being my guest today if you have enjoyed the podcast as much as I have enjoyed today's podcast with Barry please consider giving this podcast a review on whatever platform you're listening to it on today thanks again Barry thanks so much for your time Paul have a great day (laughs) 